switch. Flip, flip. I don't know nobody else that's doing this. Body start to drop, hey. And we are back, baby. Welcome back to the Look Good, Feel Good podcast. What's going on, Mario? What's up, buddy? How you doing? I'm good, man. Coming off a good weekend. I'm fresh. I'm recharged. And uh, I'm ready to kill this thing. What's going on with you? Same here, dude. It was literally the first weekend I can feel like I didn't work. Um, This is one of the things we talked about. Like, you work so hard, hard, hard that when you actually stop working, you feel like there's something wrong, like, or you should be doing something. There's a fire to put out. And I have to keep reminding myself, my wife does a really good job of making sure that she's got plans for us and the family as a reminder, like, bro, it's not all about work. Yeah, I know. And then if you, you know, you, you start to feel a little burnt out and then I feel like sometimes the quality could start to suffer and yeah, you need that downtime to kind of rejuvenate, recharge and keep producing, you know, quality, hard work. Yeah, and that's that convo that we have all the time about. It's not really balance. It's counterbalance. It's just like when you know you're getting in too deep in something, it's time to back away and do something else that you hold of value. And that's counterbalance, right? It's not like full balance. 25% of my life should be work. 25% is my family. 25% of my life should be um, whatever, or working out. Like that's that's not how it works. It's It's this kind of push and pull where we never get in the hole too much yeah when you're with your family it's a hundred percent there when you're with your training a hundred percent there when you're at work hundred percent there counterbalance baby love yeah, it absolutely all right so uh i think last week the first uh, official template we were rolling with uh was nice and smooth so we want to keep bringing that momentum and and build from that you ready to rock let's do it baby so today uh i wanted to break down some um attributes to kind of look forward to and look for in a fitness coach, right? There's multiple aspects. There's multiple things to do, but I was thinking, you know, in terms of what I wanted my segment to be on and, you know, three things that came to mind. So I kind of just want to break these down. Let me hear them. So the first one is professionalism, right? You know, if I want to kind of change the game on people thinking that personal trainers are, you know, just people that like to work out and they want to share knowledge, right? I want to be full on looked up to like, you know, bridge the gap between us and full on doctors and lawyers, right? I I want to deliver a level of professionalism that can be not compared to those, but just that higher level of expertise, right? Absolutely. We get a a bad rap for that. um, And that's why we have to fill that gap, like you said. Yeah. And then uh, we are putting in our work and our due diligence to to deserve that reputation, that high level reputation, because frankly, uh, we know what we're talking about. We know what we're talking about. So so just to deliver a professional experience, you know, when we have our members come in, they're getting greeted. They know they're getting you know, we try to always say we're giving the best hour of their day. And in order to do that, we have to be professional on the consistency of what we're doing every time they come in. You're hitting the key term, dude, is consistency. I know a professional from a mile away, not from how he does things, he or she does things once. It's that same experience. Anybody can wow me once on my initial consultation to see my doctor. Do they wow me like that every time? And that's what we say. That's not a show. We're able to do that because we know that professionalism includes the consistency of experience over time. Yeah, and then... When we have our members coming in, we have the game plan thought out. We're not just, you know, po- uh, popping up ideas in our head and just rolling whatever comes to mind. We are putting in our time to provide, like you just said, a consistent experience by game planning, by doing trial and error on ourselves, right? Like, you know, uh, the personal training and the CrossFit group class coaching uh, needs to be run as an efficient business. And, you know, that's just something we take pride in. So you got to be professional, right? Absolutely. So another one I got is you have to look and you have to fit the part. Preach it. Unfortunately, if you go to some of these global gyms, dude, some of these trainers are 
overweight, they're heavy, and they're still in their 20s. How, how are, I just don't understand that. How are they, you know, you, you always said it was a very pushy sales environment. Like, how can a guy like that who doesn't know anybody in that commercial gym still sell through personal training packages? Just, I mean, they're, they're, they're basically used car salesmen. Wow. Right? Wow, they're, I like that. They're great at selling, but. They can't deliver. They're, they're not, no, they're not delivering results. That's for damn sure. You know. Uh, they're proof of it, right? Physically. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. How are you going to convince, you know, hey, this is the right way to do it, uh, to eat clean, you know, long term, consistently lifestyle changes to train, you know, three to five days a week and constantly varied functional movements. And, you know, I can get to the, the gist of it, but you're not showing that you do that. Right. It's that same thing. Practice what you preach. Right. Yeah. You have to do that. You have to practice what you preach because uh, it's just it's not right for you to expect of your athletes to do this, what this formula you're drawing up when you're not doing it. And they're probably secretly thinking that for multiple reasons. If it's time to show a movement and they know you can't do it and how are you trying, how can you sell credibility there? Not that every trainer needs to be able to do everything. That's why we have a nice compliment. Uh, but two, it's like he's saying it, but we know he doesn't truly believe it because there's no way he can do that. Yeah. Right. Or he follows through on that. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's uh, it's almost like there's like a, a sense of being fake, right? You're you're being fake. You're asking this, and it's someone that's writing out a nutrition plan that is eating McDonald's three times a day, right? Like, and then he's telling you, yeah, she's telling you to, hey, eat healthy, whatever that means, right, right, right. Mm-hmm. And you know, it also another way to look at it is there's these trainers out there that have all these certifications. They have these, you know, they, they've read these books, they have these degrees, but they haven't, from an application, uh, application standpoint, they haven't put it into work, right? Even if you're not over shape. So we don't even have to just go just that rabbit hole, that them being out of shape, but they're, uh, you know, have all these credentials, but they haven't put it to you. So how do they know it works? Absolutely. Right? You and I, I don't mean to cut you off, but you and I talk about it all the time. We have people out there that we know that have all these sources, right? They tell us they heard this and this and this, but they haven't done it themselves. Absolutely. And they're using their resume or as their credibility. And, you know, I say it all the time, knowledge is potential power, right? The certification is potential power. If that, the, the gap between actual power and potential power is the ability to execute through action over time. That is the difference. We can read all day. I told you how the BS, uh, we love reading books, but as we start reading books and, you know, following people that uh, we value, there, you know, there's a dude who's talking about the one book a day challenge. And I'm like, that's absurd. Crazy. That's absurd. And so, okay, whatever. At the end of the month, I say I read 30 books. Yeah, that's potential power because I can guarantee you absolutely weren't able to execute on any of that stuff through it if the purpose is to read the book is to take something that you can learn it has to be executed i stop reading when there's like this wow every time that's why i'm a slow reader not because i can't read a book a day give me a challenge and tell me i'm going to get ten thousand dollars reading a book a day i guarantee i would but i also would say that i didn't learn crap in the process i stop reading when i say wow or I, I take the big highlight and do the big circle. And then I'm like, man, that's really powerful. And then how do I put that into action the next couple of days? That's how I read. Yeah. No, you talked to me yesterday and your kind of go to was uh, find that one thing, right? Mm. That one mini nugget. <laughs> oh, are you throwing my segment and you didn't even say your segment yet. Yeah. Whoa. What yeah. you called yours? Oh, uh, yeah. I, I, I told him oh. it's, it's a, it's my breakdown of, you know, a, a mainstream topic. What, what's on my mind. And, uh, and but I got, you well, got to title it. Brett breakdown. Brett's breakdown. baby. We're, we're going to have better intros. Yeah. Here soon. Br- got we're going to get better. But, and then, uh, so that's two. My last one is they need to have, uh, continued education, right? They need to, you know, we just ran it on the application standpoint, but it doesn't stop there. You can't have someone that just uh, is all trial and error. They just do this, do this, do this, do this, and there's not research to back it up. There's not um, a certification credentials to back it up. So, you know, and you always got to be learning. You always got to be, you know, trending towards, um, you know, progress, learning new things, and, you know, um, 
I'm just leaving it at this. I want to do a, a, a new certification uh, coming up. You and I have been talking about our CSCS for a long time yep. now. And uh, I think that might be my next one, my next challenge. So, yeah, the, the, the fitness coach that you are looking for, they have to, you know, um, make point blank that, you know, they don't know it all. And they're always looking for that next thing to continue their education. Well, the only constant in life is change. And that's for everything that we do. And that also means that the way uh, that uh, performance is thought of changes. What I thought 10 years ago is completely different mm-hmm. or I've evolved. I don't say completely different. It my, my thinking has evolved as it should because I'm taking in new information. I'm experiencing that information with my clients and then something else comes out or there was a drill or an exercise I used 10 years ago. I would say now is stupid. It doesn't work. How do I know? Because I've applied it multiple times. Like at some point I have to decide to make change. I'm not just doing that demo because everybody on Instagram is doing this drill and it, but really it doesn't work. How do I know? Because I've tried it on everyone. And really the issue with some of these people is they're overweight, but it looks cool on Instagram. And that's where I have to ask all the time, does that really work? Like, thanks for sharing the video, but I'm not sure if that really worked. Have you tried it? Looks cool. It looks cool. They got the girl with the band and she's flipping and doing these bar muscle ups. And I'm like, yeah, but that one client who's 30 pounds overweight doesn't matter. That thing will not work. And even if they do do it, it is still such a far gap from them actually doing doing the bar muscle up, it's not even worth trying to pretend that they can. Had a client come in, uh, she had taught by another coach to do the band across the, uh, across the pull-up bar and the two J-hooks as for, uh, uh, for, strict, uh, for strict pull-ups. Remember yeah. uh, how they do it across? Uh-huh. She had four bands on it. Yeah. And so the motion was pull-up, absolutely. Locked out, came up, it looked somewhat strict. It was five bands. And I, and I basically questioned her, had you actually ever got sore from that? And the answer was no, because it looks cool. It looks like the movement, but, you know, I don't want to lie to them. Like, I know that's not doing anything for them because it's not creating what I understand as a st- stimulus today as what's required for them to actually do the pull-up. And it's not just about doing more biceps and lat work. You need to get the weight appropriate to your body. You are overweight. And, and so how do we do that with love? But like you said, like really understand that this thing keeps changing. And if we don't start evolving our coaching, if your coach is telling you the same crap he told you five, five years ago, he, she is not evolving. Yeah. Facts, man. So yeah, just, you know, when in doubt, look for those three things, uh, continue education, professionalism, and looking and fitting the part. And that applies for both, uh, one-on-one personal training and group classes and there definitely is pros and cons to both um and i think that boy uh mario got a nice little mini nugget for me (laughs) uh comparing and contrasting the two styles of training mini nugget uh that's you got bro that's my segment if you don't um if you don't know me really well people call me mini when i was in high school i uh played football for two years and I decided that I wanted to be a linebacker. So imagine me, 5'4", 125 pounds, soaking wet, uh, playing football as a linebacker. Uh, and then at that time, in the summers, we uh, we train with everybody, upperclassmen, lowerclassmen, doesn't matter. And you're and, at Powerhouse Naples High, man. Yeah, and I'm at Naples High, so imagine the linebackers there. And so some of the linebackers at the time joked that I looked like a little mini-me. And then, you know, as I evolved... You know, like, kind of like little Wayne is now Wayne now kind of thing is like, so now that, you know, we have a shorter version of it, which is mini. So, you know, when somebody is a best friend of mine, when they call me mini. So I like the play of uh, the title mini segments. So they're short and sweet, just like me. And it, you're, you're giving them something like we just talked about, something to apply, right? It's straight to the point. It's one thing and uh, it's applicable. Yeah. So um, I'm not sure how to start it, but I think that. Um, you know, there's so many different philosophies about how training should be done uh, effectively and efficiently. I'm biased. I recognize that. I also recognize for whatever I tell you, there's also a, probably a good counter argument to that. No matter how thin you slice the conversation or the story, there are always two sides. And I'm under the belief that you should never take a strong stance on anything until you've heard the credible knowledgeable facts on both sides 
My understanding is that the group fitness model is by far the most effective, efficient way to train. Absolutely, 100%. We have, I have not seen that otherwise. I say this all the time. If somebody proves otherwise, I'll go do that. I'll go sell that because I need to evolve and listen to my heart if I feel like there is something better. I don't. It's why I'm still doing this. Affiliated for eight years, crossfitting for 10 years, personal training for uh, 15 years, and still believe that the model that we're doing is the best. Why? Why it is the most cost efficient, right? Number one, listen, at the end of the day, uh, I would love everyone to personal train for 12 sessions before they started group training. In a perfect world. In a perfect world. They don't have that money. I understand there has to be uh, a discretionary budget for them to pay 20, off rip for the 12 sessions. I understand that. And I can't just say, oh, well, you got to do personal training or you can't be a part of our gym. Like, th- that's not why we signed up for it. We wanted to help people. But we also recognize that maybe some people are too far removed from any type of exercise that we do in the group model. So if you're not smart enough or creative enough to figure out the, uh, the gap between those two things, you're going to lose them or hurt them. Because you're going to lose them because you say you're not flexible enough. you got to do personal training. Or you're going to hurt them. You're going to push them into group too fast or not have the right coaching set up or the right professionalism and culture set up uh, that they're going to get hurt because you're going to miss something. Yeah, I think our process is great. You know, we screen them from the start. Someone calls to inquire about our group classes and we say, hey, first off, how'd you hear about us? And then second off, what are you currently doing? doing? Right? What are you currently doing? Where are you at right now? Because we need to, you know, have that type of awareness on if it's a great fit, right? We do that, uh, not just from a physical standpoint, from, you know, a personality standpoint too. But like you said, if we wouldn't, you know, feel these potential prospects out and you're just playing the numbers game, I'm getting as many people as fast as I can in my gym, paying my membership, you're going to run into that, uh, that injury aspect or that bringing someone in that's not talking the same language, that's not seeing, you know, that your vision and your mission and what you have built this thing out to be. So, you know, it's like that fine line of uh, the coach being aware on the people being a good fit for the group class model. And if it is, I mean, let's fire all cylinders. Exactly. And and so the other end is like, and we, this was 10 years ago, eight years ago when I started is like the other, the other continuum is okay. Well, I just do CrossFit in the commercial gym. No, you can't. Not only will you look like an idiot doing that, you don't have the most important part with is the group atmosphere under professional leadership. And so go ahead and pay $20 and you're going to get what $20 is worth. And so we actually, as far as they think financially, we're uh, away from that. We're actually sitting in the middle financially from a group model. I mean, you're paying like, you're coming three to four days a week, you're paying $6 a class. Dude, $6 a class, we're about to do Bigram and we're going to have to pay $20 a class. Mm -hmm. Come on now. And it's value systems for me, right? When the lady says, oh, I really wanted to buy a shirt, but I can't figure out the $20. Come on. You're paying $150 for them. You can't figure out how to pay $20. It's a value system. Just tell me you don't really like the shirt and don't buy it. I don't really care, right? And so I... It's, I've heard every single excuse in the world. I can filter through that BS really quick. The other reason I think that it's uh, the most effective is something uh, really, really uh, near and dear to my heart because it really translates to why I started doing CrossFit in the first place was that group atmosphere. And that, listen, personal training is awesome. I think you'll get some great results because it's one-on-one. You'll get, them, you'll get great results faster one-on-one. But you're paying for it. But you're paying for it. But the most, the, the, the biggest difference for me is you cannot develop community one-on-one. Mm-hmm. You cannot develop uh, a full-rounded uh, relationship with multiple people on a one-on-one basis. It's why I don't like models where it's only personal training as part of the facility. Because it's like, yeah, sure, you are helping them get to where they want to be, right? We do that in our group model as well. But like ultimately, like uh, like 
do you make strong friendships and connections with other people? No, it's one-on-one. And it is like in comparison, it is boring and compared to the group model. It's why it's it's ingenious because it's inherently part of the CrossFit model and nobody even knows about it. It's like, oh, let's be, hey, let's go do things fun and then let's just do it together. No, it's the group model indirectly makes things fun, right? Uh, it's the first thing that most people come to us about the commercial gym. I'm just bored. Dude, personal training is boring in comparison. I'm not saying it's more exciting or that it's bad because that one-on-one is boring, but that's what you're going to get. Are you okay with that? Hey, you got to pay 720 and it's not really going to be that exciting compared to what you're used to doing in the group model. Are you okay with that too? Cool. We uh, take advantage of a lot of things that we love about team training the community, the connections we make, the battle that we compete against yeah, with one another. Yeah, friendly competition is huge. The, uh, that whole atmosphere of pushing each other. You're not going to get that one-on-one. Even if you do the, you know, the one-on-one, but everyone else is doing one-on-one around me, so it's kind of like community. No, it's not. We can't connect. We're not doing the same exact thing. Like, I'm doing a completely different workout. No, the group model sells us connecting together because we're going through the battle and the war together. Now, the counter argument is, well, you don't get as much value because there's so many people with different levels. I argue that's the coach's fault, man. Yeah, that's the coach's fault. They don't know how to execute uh, a program and scale appropriately because they just take scales they saw on YouTube. They actually haven't really thought about it. Right. When we did our staff training, what did we do? We said, listen, here's our core 30 movements. I'm going to put that movement in the center and I need you in less than one minute to give me a scale that's progressive and that's regressive immediately. Because if you can't do that immediately, you're a bad coach. That's what I said. Right. Or you're not really delivering value. Right. You're just saying, oh, okay, well, you can't do pull ups. Go ahead and grab five bands and do that. What are you doing? The gap from the five bands to the pull up is too far because you haven't spent enough time to create the dashes between the line. That's a bad coach. That is not bad group fitness. Yeah. You don't have a game plan to progressively get your athletes better and better and better on a well-designed, focused continuum. And that just, it's like, it's ridiculous to say that's the fault of the group fitness model. Absolutely not. It's why they argue CrossFit was dangerous. There's no such thing that's inherently dangerous. None in the fitness industry. It's what you're doing in the moment that makes it inherently dangerous. Nobody's blaming car deaths on cars. They're like, oh no, it's that that dude, oh my God, he wasn't paying attention, they were texting and driving. It's the absolute same, Brett. Mm -hmm. It's that stupid workout should have never been designed. Who thought of doing that? That makes no scientific sense. Or that coach is not a real coach. Like He wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. That's the leadership not being able to build a model where there's consistent coaching across time. Listen, when, you know, a member only likes to come to one coach's class, there's a big problem in your culture, buddy. You better fix it because we are all have the mindset of what it means to be professional. And so my concern is that we need to stop blaming that on the group fitness model because the problem is not the group fitness model is you don't have a clue how to run it professionally effectively and efficiently and until that's done i swear on my life by the group model yeah and there's a reason why we make our coaching process the real deal like you know they gotta commit their time so we can develop them to make sure they're ready to coach our athletes right like there's not hey uh i'm crossfit certified can i get a job tomorrow and start coaching how do you feel about that it's gross (laughs) and it's gross i i saw that early on training myself and being at other gyms and I thought it was gross because like because you got a certification I'm supposed to trust you now that's ridiculous and when I created the coaching program Brett I knew that they had to be a part of the culture first had to because we uh, I understand something very basic in all human relationships people don't care what you know till they know that you care I knew that from the first. So it would make more sense that the prospective coach who wants a coach one day at my gym is already a member. Not because they're paying me. I could care less. I could care less about the 100 bucks. It's, dude, how are you going to get any credibility? No one even knows your name. Yeah. Get in the culture. Breathe it. Live it. 
then we'll go through this model together. And if you can't do that, you screen yourself out. You're not, you're not going to be the right coach for me because those people that just wanted the certification or we get crappy, lazy emails with these really fabricated resumes as CrossFit coaches, I'm not going to take any of them in. We have a script. Dude, Ashley has a script that we created years ago, and we keep it the same. Thank you for your interest. We have a very uh, – uh, we have a three-month instructor training program that all of our coaches go through. We send them out. If they don't reply, we screen them the hell out because they're not going to fit our culture anyways. They mm-hmm. just they want the title without the without actually being a real yeah, coach. Yeah, put in the work. Love anyways. that, man. Love that. Um, okay, so how do you feel we've been doing on this new workout tracking app we've been going? Uh, you feel like it's been contributing to our athletes' training? Absolutely, 100%. You know, it's not like, you know, I'm very careful of just talking and selling about like a quantitative measure. Like that's part of it. But one of the things with if we want to add that into my conversation about why it's important with group training, we extended group training outside of class with our workout app that has uh, just as many beneficial features from a social aspect. You can't get that personal training. Can you imagine like going on like uh, a Facebook page and then you're saying, hey, here's my training today. What's yours? Like we don't even have that convo. All we have to say is, wow, today's training was really tough. That part B going into part C was very challenging. Like we connect. You can't connect when you're going one-on-one. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that accountability standpoint is, you know, game changer. I got people coming in uh, to – to take my evening classes and they're looking on their apps. Oh, how did so-and-so do this in the morning class? Right. It's that whole accountability aspect and you know, everyone's commenting on everyone's scores and, um, no, it's awesome, man. I think it was a successful first month. We're about a month in this thing as it being live. So our workout tracking app, uh, is, is definitely something worth uh, looking into. If you're not on it now, we do do a free week trial. Would love to have you try it out because, I mean, we could rant on and on and on and on about the podcast or about it on the podcast, but we just want you to do it. We want you to, to try it out and uh, and go from there. Dude, we make it easy as possible for them. Just get on the app for seven days. It'll sell itself. I'm tired like of people just making excuses. Like, If, if you're interested, try the free app. Yeah, try it. Try the free trial. Ask someone else that's already on it. And uh, yeah, let's get it going. Q&A time. We got some questions you know, throughout the week that we want to get, get into. And the first one, which I definitely want to ask you, my man, because I remember you doing a Instagram post, uh, like slapping yourself in the face with some smooth, <laughs> with some smooth hands, and ah, you, and I did a slow mo. Yeah, your ugly mug. I should have no, put like Baywatch soundtrack. No, too. actually, it was hysterical, and I I did laugh out loud. So <laughs> great post. Okay, so from our uh, listener, my hands are consistently getting tore up when I'm doing pull-ups, kipping pull-ups, and toast to bar. What can I do to take care of this? Um, you know, there's a there's a lot of different uh, ways to attack it. One is just knowing the individual. How long you've been training? Like, I think that if you go from never doing the style of training that we do to going into it, your hands are going to get roughed up. You're grabbing things and objects that you've never grabbed before consistently on a weekly, monthly and one-year basis, right, that you've been training with us. They're going to get roughed up. So you need to get ahead of that comp, that issue versus, oh, I got three tears right now. What do I do? That individual did not get ahead of that. Mm-hmm. That's number one. How do we get ahead of it? I think that we just need to, like, this is basic stuff. It's not rocket science. Like, detach from the CrossFit thing. Just, just look at the skin. Like, look at your palm, right? Like, it should be when moisturized, elastic, and stretchy, right? That, that's basic concept. So most of the time, um, when you have that elasticity, you can handle more shear. Shear is a, a forceful pulling motion. Shear on the skin, shear on the muscle, uh, whatever it might be. But shear on the skin is a stretching capacity like uh, your ability to stretch your hamstrings. The more you can get that to stretch, the more elastic and lower probability of ripping because the rip is the end range of the skin being stretched and it has no more so it opens up to create the space that's physiology 101 of the dermatology of the skin this is why i hate hate chalk multiple reasons one 
it produces the opposite effect of what the skin's intention and heart is, if it had one, which is it needs to stretch on a daily basis. The chalk works because it really dries the skin, reduces the elasticity, and creates friction. Those three things are why you're ripping your hands and you don't even know because you love chalking. Yeah. You love to chalk everything, the medicine ball, the handstand, the barbell, and make the excuse you can't medicine do three pull-ups because uh, you don't have chalk. That's a ridiculous statement. Yeah, my training partner today actually said he needed chalk. I said, you don't need chalk. You want chalk. Absolutely. The want chalk. And two, we trained all our lives with ch without chalk, right? The person coming in, 90% of the time has never used chalk before. But now the culture of CrossFit they is... They saw someone yeah, else do it. Right? And now they want chalk? Listen, dude, your issue is not the chalk, right? So one is, why are they asking about the chalk? Do I think an animal like me who has to come into the open and he goes rx and he knocks out 50 bar muscle ups and needs chalk does ben smith when he come to my gym to work out need chalk because he's gonna go 32 minutes in with about 70 toes to bar does he need chalk absolutely of course it's a performance enhancer at that point at the not top, a crutch absolutely it's a let me finish that it's a performance enhancer at the top one percent of your capacity why Dude, you better not be chalking if I'm a top 1% of my capacity. Dude, if you ever see me grab chalk before a 400-pound deadlift, slap me. Yeah. Dude, if you see me grab chalk before 50 pull-ups of volume in, slap me, right? And you know what? I think that all gyms should have benchmarks for when they're allowed to touch chalk. Right? You Think need, about it. Yeah, hey, yeah. oh, okay, she needs to deadlift 225 today for 40 reps. Go ahead, sweetie, grab the chalk. But when the lady who's grabbing 85 pounds wants chalk, that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And we need to break that because, like, and again, the issue is not, that's the truth. That's the fact. It's how do we communicate that without hurting their feelings? That's what great people, great leaders, great coaches do. Because the fact is the fact. You don't need the chalk. You just don't say it like that because you'll offend them. That's not, like, we don't take any pride in telling people the fact by offending them. We do it with love because we want to support them. But the fact of the matter, sweetie, it's, the, the chalk is not why you can't deadlift 225 pounds. You're new. You don't train this. Uh, she's been doing this for four years. Uh, you know that she's been on three different strength cycles in four years. Like, they don't want to hear that. They just want, give me the chalk so I can try to pretend I'm lifting more weight. And we have to deal with that issue too. But from stop rich, ripping your hands, take care of it more. Take care of it more. Don't put lotion on before the workout and then you fall on your face. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying throughout the days, like, you should be putting lotion on. Uh, you should be looking at your hands and sh uh, shaving them down with a little uh, callus stone or uh, uh, rock stone or the metal ones that they have. You should be clipping them here and there and really just paying attention to what these hands are looking like. Again, if you're new, some of that is part of the process, right? Charge it to the game. Yeah, put it into your bank account of like, hey, that's just gonna happen. Now, if it keeps happening, you're doing something wrong. Uh, but it, this is obvious stuff to me. It's obvious stuff to yeah, me. Yeah, you know, what I would also say is you need to kind of work on your awareness on how you're moving on the pull-up bar, right? You know, if changes are, if you're constantly ripping time and time again, you have some sort of out of control movement where you're not grabbing the bar, you know, properly and moving your body weight in correlation with a proper grip on the bar to where this out of control motion is what's ripping you up. It's a good point. There, there is a undulating of the grip from full tension to little tension and back and forth. And there's a dance there with the palm. If you're death gripping it, not only are you going to increase the chance of you ripping your hands, you also probably have a very inconsistent pulling motion, whatever you're doing, because uh, there's not a mo movement that I know where the hands are fully death gripped through all the reps. Let's go one more, my man. What's uh, what's one more we got? What, yeah, let me ask you this one because uh, I know you're you're big into uh, supplementation and you've experimented with a lot, so you really know what works and what doesn't. But uh, someone asked, uh, one of our members asked, what's the best post-workout supplement to take? So my first response would be 
is your diet on point 100%? Because if it's not, we don't even need to go down this rabbit hole about supplementation. So I'm just going to automatically assume yeah, I like that. they are eating whole quality foods. Their calorie balance is in check. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to assume that much. Okay. So I like that. Now, so your diet's down to a T and you want to take it to the next level and you want to add a supplement to your training and your diet. Uh, I'm big on BCAs. I know you like uh, BCAs as well, you know, amino acids. And, you know, I like drinking those because, hey, uh, I practice, you know, some fasting, intermittent fasting. So I need to, instead of going a traditional protein shake, I like to drink something that doesn't have calories in it, right? So uh, amino acids, what would be kind of be my uh, go-to suggestion. Uh, Glutamine is another good kind of recovery agent. Um, and then some type of, uh, creatine. And like I said, all these supplement recommendations, they are getting fancy. They are not required. Right. But you know, I would always go back to my first response would be, you know, what's your diet? Like, um, if you don't, you know, practice fasting or whatnot, like I do, I'd say, go eat a real, a real damn meal. (laughs) Right. I go, I go, I'd say, go eat a real meal. And, uh, but yeah, I'd say, you know, some type of, um, you know, blend of amino acids, creatine, and glutamine. But like I said, that's getting fancy. Make sure that diet is on point. Well, I mean, yeah, that's basically what you're saying is why do you think you need to take supplements, right? Because uh, that will predict my answer, right? If you're saying, well, I feel like, you know, it's going to help me get leaner faster or it's going to help me lose weight. No, sir. No, man. That's not going to happen. I'm sorry where you got that confusion. No can do. No can do. Now, are you eating right? You understand caloric balance in a manner that allows you to maintain an appropriate body to strength, a strength to body weight ratio. Let's have this convo because what you're saying is there's a potential with those supplements that you talked about to help increase your performance at where you're currently at. Mm-hmm. That's it. You're not saying, oh, this is going to give you the eight pack, dude. Not this is a miracle. No. no, these supplements will allow you to recover faster so you can do what we need you to do. Keep training consistently and training hard and training smart. Yeah. And he, and he good. Come on, man. It's not rocket science. And I always say they have the pyramid upside down, right? We created our protocol for that because we understood this, Brett. That's the first like three uh, questions people ask after signing up. So what do you think about whey protein? Why are you asking? What do you think about creatine? Well, why are you asking? Because if they think that's going to get them fitter and you know, make them, you know, be able to wear their bikinis and board shorts in the summer. No, sir. No, ma'am. I'm sorry. I'm not sure where you got that confusion, uh, but that's not the case. They have it ass backwards. They have it pyramid backwards. That supplementation is the last thing you can think about for performance enhancement. It's the least important. It's the least important. What you need, uh, you know, we discussed that uh, we've done your body fat and that we know that you can lose 30 pounds right? That will put you around 20% body fat. Let's deal with that by eating real food at some point, trying to track your calories. And then when we get appropriately to that body weight ratio, that body fat percentage we talked about, then I would love to have this convo with you. But until then, it's, you're wasting your time having that convo with them, if not lying to them, because you entertain the convo about the supplements when what you really should have entertained is about how to eat better. Yeah, and it's almost a way to look at it is if they are asking this question about what kind of supplements I should take, then we need to reverse them back a little bit to this diet and the importance of, you know, training and eating. If they are, you know, like they're ready to to take some more supplements, they they should have a, a somewhat of a knowledge and idea on what they should be getting into. Is basically what I'm saying. Absolutely. You know, my trick is, Brett, if they say the word diet or exercise, they ain't got a clue. But if they're like, listen, I need, uh, I'm looking for something to help improve my training or improve the quality of my nutrition, they get it. Bam, bam. They get it. And so, because diet and exercise is so temporary, it's so trendy, it's that kind of, they're just going to follow whatever is most popular. Come, if you come to me and start doing the keto diet, you fell for the, you fell for the bandwagon, right? Why are you doing keto? You don't even know what real food, you've never been on a real food diet. Why are you touching that? 
And, and that's, that's the person who's got that diet exercise mentality. They want to lose 30 pounds this month. But when someone's coming to me, hey, listen, I'm looking for supplementation because I feel like my body fat has peaked. Uh, I, I'm, I'm really happy with my current body fat, and I'm looking for some supplementation to really deal with this soreness because when, anytime we do heavy legs, I'm sore for four or five days. Okay, dude, they get it. They get it. Now you're talking the same language. Anyways, what you got, bro? Uh, okay, so uh, the highlight of the podcast, baby. You ready for it? Let's do it. This has been um, you know, a, a big trending topic between you and I this week, and uh, it, it needs to be addressed, and it's definitely something that's a weakness of mine and that you're very, very adamant about and huge about, and ultimately is probably what led to most of your success is your ability to do it, and it's the ability to communicate. Communicate. Communication, what? baby. Communication. Communication. <laughs> uh, so go ahead, ask me. No, I just, you know, I think that it's like the word community. Everyone's talking, everyone throws that word out there, and no one has personally defined it. Not some bullshit, like, quote they heard some person on social media. Dude, no, what do you think communication is? You're like, oh, it's so important to communicate in the marriage. No one's defined what that means. Oh, it's important that when you get upset to communicate. No one's defined how to do that. And my issue is because, uh, you know, personally, um, my mom wasn't really good at that. And, you know, I, I understand the way she treated certain situations when we were kids, but it doesn't make it right. And what I understood is that my, uh, my mom is a bad communicator. And I took that for a really long time. Meaning like if I had an issue with you, I would just, I would get angry and tell you what that issue was and then never talk about it again, ever. And I did that with multiple relationships. A lot of people are still doing that to this day. And they think that's really, that's communication because, Hey, well I said it really loud and I told you how I felt and I'm just going to spit on you and tell you everything I feel. And then I'm supposed to like hug you and kiss you and pretend like nothing happened. And that was how I was treated as a little kid. And as that got into relationships, I'm like, there's, this is why it's not working. There's that model doesn't work. So I had to learn how to get uncomfortable trying to figure out what communication meant to me to really feel like I, I understand it. I'm not perfect at it. There's no such thing as perfection. But when I know I'm not communicating well, I'm not bullshitting myself anymore saying that I'm communicating well when I'm really not because I know what it takes to communicate well. I feel like if you're you know, just thinking about stuff and keeping it bottled in, it, it delivers stress and anxiety, uh, which is always probably worse than the outcome you take if you just express yourself and at the moment is what you're big on uh just get it out there and and say it and you know go with the repercussions if there's any you know when you get there instead of i, I feel like you know we uh as society kind of think about this stuff and we're doing more damage on keeping it bottled up than getting it out there absolutely and that is that you are trying to communicate or envision the convo in your head before you actually do the communication. I think that's dangerous because what happens is you delay what needs to really happen, which is just to have the conversation. And that's why I mean having it in the moment is the most important. That doesn't mean, okay, I understand, okay, I just need to have it in a moment and you do it while you're angry and you just say everything you feel. That's dangerous as well. No, you have it in the moment, but you do it out of love because you know that this convo needs to be had right now for multiple reasons, to help understand each other better and to, we always feel better after we have the convo. And it's important to have it to let it go because if you, the longer you wait to have the convo, the worse you feel. And so for me, it's, it's selfish, it really is. It's, dude, I have to let this off my chest because like, I don't want to go home tonight thinking about this if I don't tell them, right? And so, but that selfishness done out of love helps us understand each other and move on. But and then I can go home in peace. They can understand me better. And we go on from there. But I think when you start to envision that it's supposed to, the convo is supposed to go a certain way and, or you need to have the perfect word to tell them before you have it, you've already lost. Your understanding is that it's just not healthy. Or when you start, you know, it doesn't feel good. That is the number one indicator that you better have that convo right now. ASAP. Right now. Not let me wait. No, not let me text them and have, dude, do not text them your problems. You say, 
like that's another issue I have is like you don't like just spit it out on text it's gross like to me that's gross because it's like it takes away from real communication to me that has to be in person it has to be in the moment those are part of my definition of communication because there is a reason why community is done in person because it's how we grow. We can learn off body language. We can learn how to listen and stop. We can learn how to say things in the moment with love. You can't do that via text because you can stall. You can, you can grunt and you know put a stink face on when you get a text back from them. And that's not what we're doing. My mom still plays that game and I don't play it with her. And you know what happens? It dies down and I reduce that drama or that you know her ability to really harm me right emotionally. And so I understand is I'm going to have these convos with them regardless. I'm doing our love. I'm not going to like spit in your face and tell you if you don't want to come back tomorrow, I don't care. No, we, I'm still, I, I need to understand where you're coming from, but I'm not going to pretend and visualize that I know what you're coming from if I've never heard it out of your mouth. Yeah. And then if you are, you know, communicating with someone and you know where their heart is at, you take that with, um, you know, as it is face value. Hey, if he is telling me some things that, you know, they're not, maybe I not might not agree with, or, you know, they not necessarily hurt my feelings, but I know where his heart is at. I know where her heart is at. I know the type of person they are. So I have to hear them out and express myself right back to them. And best case scenario, we come to an understanding yep. and agreement. Yep. Uh, and everything is, is good. Worst case scenario, we go, hey, you know, this is what um, we have to end this conversation on. Uh, and we might have to go our separate ways. But at least you're coming to somewhat of an agreement and understanding on your view and my view. Even if they click, great. If they don't, at least we're coming to that agreement on, hey, I said what I need to say. I listened to you on what you had to say. And, you know, this may not just work. We got to go our separate ways. No matter how thin you slice it, there are always two sides, right? And that's why I do not take anyone's story about anything at face value, ever. I don't care why you tell me uh, my way of training is better than uh, my, your way of training is the best because somebody else has a counter argument why that training doesn't work. I don't care why you tell me this diet is the best because there's someone else who's telling that understands that there's a counter argument to that. So when it comes to that same mentality in human relationships, I don't care how, how, uh, how amazing and thorough your story story is about so-and-so who didn't listen to you in class today and they were just very rude because when I go and talk to him or her, they have a completely different, different story. story. And so what I tell the coaches with communication is, did you follow up? Yeah, I've emailed them three times. That is not communication, yeah. dude. The email is a moment for me. The email is a hack. It's to let it go. So when I see them again, all I got to do is this. Hey, did you get my email? Yeah. Okay. You have some time to chat today. Let's do it after class. Done. Versus this awkward, I've been holding it in. I've never emailed them. And I'm like, oh my God, how am I going to tell them I need to talk? Like, come on. No, you're, you're sending the email, not an attempt to come up with a solution via email, but to set up the conversation person to Beautiful. person. It's a setup. It's yep. a setup for the convo setup. to not make it... Uh, uncomfortable and if our coaches aren't doing that they're missing a huge part of building trust and communication because like you said base case scenario we come to a mutual understanding of what we're both trying to do right versus the person's like you're picking on me because you want me to put my score on the board and he not only follows up with this individual multiple times they he has multiple in-person convos with them and she still feels like he's picking on him and i said and as I had to jump into this conversation or jump into this, which I don't like to do because I think we're all adults. We can, if, if it was a true issue, this coach would have had this issue with multiple people. And this is the only person they're having it with. So there's something there that's a disconnect that they need to work through. So when I have to come in, I'm just like trying to put out a fire because I'm the business owner. And I really just don't want to be like, that's the only way things get fixed. Well, you know what happens to that person? She couldn't get it. She didn't understand it. Because when I go to coach her, she feels like I'm picking on her. I'm like, listen, I know this is a sensitive subject, but nobody's picking on you. I'm asking the same question for every single person in class. Mm -hmm. Come on, sweetie. And so that's where it's just like you said, we have both at least come to a mutual understanding of what what we were looking for, what she was looking for, I feel defended with. And if you can't handle it, I'm sorry. 
I, we didn't do it rudely. We didn't say you were a piece of crap or you're no good because you don't have the best score on the board. I care less what your score is. But our culture is to put your name on the whiteboard. That's it. And if you don't get it, we effectively screened you out. It's perfect, right? We don't have to be like, you're a piece of crap to let them leave or that she owns us or that we own her. That They can come and go as they please, but we are trying to create something and uh, very valuable for people. But for that to happen, everyone's got to buy in. Yeah, everyone's got to be on these same terms. And if you're not expressing that and you're not trying to deliver that, then you know what you say all the time is, hey, I'm not a mind reader, right? I feel lack of communication is you trying to read someone else's mind or assuming they read your mind, right? And if you're not getting your thoughts, your feelings, so good. your vision out there, you know, on the table, then you're not communicating. Thanks for bringing that up. It was an issue in our marriage initially with me and my wife. And that was, and I think with, uh, tends to be with women, I could stereotype, please tell me I'm wrong, is they they don't want to really say what's wrong because it might they're afraid it's going to offend the other person. But what's happening is that you can't get mad at me for not being psychic. That was my, my saying to my wife. And that is, if you're upset, I'm going to ask you once or twice. But after that, if you don't tell me, it's on you. Yep. I'm not a mind reader. Mm-hmm. I, not only am I not a mind reader, I give you two chances to just communicate. Just say it in the moment. Whatever it is, I gave her the chance to say it, and she didn't. And, but you're still mad at me because I'm supposed to know why you're mad? That's ridiculous. And that's why a lot of my first, uh, many of my uh, relationships failed. They thought I was a mind reader. I was hoping them to be a mind reader. Nobody wanted to talk about that, get in that moment. And by the way, the moment that's uncomfortable, it's perfect. It's perfect because that's the issue. That uncomfortability is the issue. Have it. Yeah. Have the uncomfortability because at the end of the day, here's what we told me and my wife and why we work so well together is we said we're on the same team. So regardless of how uncomfortable it is, we're on the same team team the client doesn't understand that when the coach is reaching her at five in the morning to come talk to her it's not so he can tell her how he feels to feel like he's the winner dude we're on On the the same same team team. she didn't get that it still came out as a battle and she lost so regardless is if you can come to a mutual understanding when we have these convos and they get uncomfortable that we're still on the same team nobody has to feel like they're winning or losing that is not the understanding it's exactly said it's a mutual understanding bang bang baby All right, guys, we are going to wrap it up. We appreciate it. But real quick, uh, if you got any type of takeaways, a mini win, a mini nugget, you know, you got something from my breakdown, just go ahead and leave us a review, a comment, a five-star rating, because we are trying to keep climbing and climbing, baby. We appreciate it, guys. Uh, We love doing this uh, because ultimately we feel like we had something to say. And even if it's that one person that is drinking the Kool-Aid on what we're saying or really getting something out of it. It was worth uh, the year, uh, over a year that we've been doing this. And we'll keep on cranking. So keep tuning in. See Thanks, you guys. guys. Bye.